In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammy and Sandy. Dr. Felicia Froh joins us on Money Tales this week. One day when Felicia was practicing medicine, she asked a patient about her profession. The patient responded that she was a real estate investor. And over the course of many conversations, Felicia was hooked. Felicia ultimately found a property she thought was a good deal and had this patient take a look at it. The patient challenged her and said, if you don't buy this house, I will. The patient then took the risk away by offering up her rehab crew and promising to buy the property later on if Felicia didn't make money on it once rented. Felicia gladly accepted the challenge and her life was forever changed. Today, Felicia is the owner of Money With Mission, an investment company focused on empowering professional women to build wealth and achieve financial freedom through off Wall Street, social impact investing in real estate and in businesses. As a real estate syndicator, Felicia has partnered with like-minded investors and has raised money for several social impact projects. In addition, Felicia is a licensed urological surgeon with over 20 years of experience. And she has written many best-selling books, including How to Create Wealth That Outlives You and is the host of the Money with Mission podcast, which Sandy and I had the pleasure of being on. Here are three key money topics Felicia hits on in this conversation. First, what it was like to have her money narrative formed by watching her mother endure domestic violence and being fearful to leave for financial reasons. Second, how she used the cash flow 101 game to teach her own children about money when they were young. And third, how she came to discover her drive to help improve communities through investment. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now onto our conversation with Felicia Fro. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Cami, I wanted to share with you and listeners about a muddy conversation we've been having in our household. Our son, who is now a college student, said that he wanted to have a credit card. He was ready for it. I was delighted that he was bringing this up. I immediately put him to work um, going to the Experian blog, Fathom researching some articles we've written there on credit cards and credit scores. And then he came back to us and we had a conversation about that. He understood how credit cards worked from his research and prior conversations that we had. Then he went off at my urging and researched credit cards to determine what would be a good fit for him. And that was really hard for me as a mom who's a financial planner because I could tell him off the top of my head what I thought. Which one do you recommend? But 
I really kept myself from doing that because I wanted him to do the research. I wanted him to have the experience of seeing what's out there, what he could find. And he came up with two choices and we talked about them as a family and he made a choice and he decided right there on the spot to apply for a credit card and he got $300 of credit right off the bat. (laughs) Oh, the incentive. Sandy, it's interesting you're bringing this up because he's just started college and it makes me think many of our guests who talked about going to college back in the day where they'd set up tables and, yes, and you and know, like t-shirts, right? Uh-huh, really and sent you. And now it's different ways. We do this digitally. And it's so hard because there's money, it seems, credit debt being thrown at you. And it seems so attractive that I love that you had this opportunity to talk with him about the pros and cons. It was great. And he was very disappointed to get such a low credit in the beginning. But then he did some more research with the credit card that he chose. And he was able to nearly triple that by the end. Tripled his credit through how? Well, because it's a student credit card and there were some things he could do to show that he was worthy of more credit. Oh, neat. There's some incentives with the card, you know, if he spends money at certain places. And so he's been very diligent about where he's using his credit card versus his debit card. I'm really proud of him for doing all of this work and for me for letting him do it and have that experience. That's what I was going to say, because I was sitting here thinking, okay, how did you not interact with the choice, especially if it was a choice you might not have made? You know, it's like, you got to keep your mouth shut and let them just do their thing. It was so hard. I kept my mouth shut and really encouraged him. And it was a very positive experience for him. So thanks for letting me share. I love that, Sandy. And I'm glad Felicia just said it that way. It's so hard as parents to really let them talk and not share my years of wisdom. Well, let's pivot over to you, Dr. Felicia Fro. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to have this conversation. I like that very first part. I've got two daughters and have to figure out how to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. This is going to be a lot of fun. Felicia, would you introduce yourself and in doing so, share a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life, really influencing who you are today? I am Dr. Felicia Fro. I am a urologist. I was one of the first 100 female urologists in the United States. I am, people tell me older than I look, but I'm, yeah, older than I want to be, <laughs> but it's, it is what it is, right? <laughs> and I grew up and my family's philosophy was go to school, get a job, work there, have the security, make great money, and then you retire. I think my true money narrative came from watching my mom live in a domestic violence relationship, not being able to leave for what I believe were financial reasons. So mm-hmm. No, there's probably a lot more around that, but to me, it feels like financial reasons. And my next step. So I realized she was stuck in that relationship. My next thing was about five years into my urology practice. I realized this wasn't what I was here to do. I'm here for something else, but I was stuck because I had a family. I had student loan debt. I didn't know what else to do. So here I am in the same position as my mom, not exactly the same situation, but both stuck for financial reasons and things that we were not wanting to be involved in. So came to Money with Mission over a lot of time. And our 
main vision is that every woman has the financial ability to walk away from any job or relationship that's not in her best interest. And those are the two things that drive me every day. Mm, Make you get excited. It gets me excited even thinking about that. Can we go back in time? And thanks for sharing about your mom's situation. And it must have been so hard to witness. And I'm wondering, when was it when you were growing up when money started having meaning to you? And what was it that was really driving that meaning? I don't know that I ever really... So I'm thinking several things are happening in my head right now. I remember a time, and I don't remember what age I was, wondering how banks made money. Mm-hmm. I think it was before college, like high school, when I first got a bank book or you know, it was back in bank book days. And uh, <laughs> it's like, how do they make money? And over time, I've understood that and it doesn't make me happy. So that was one thing about money. Again, my family, we weren't poor. My father's a veterinarian. My mom has a master's and they work well and we had what we needed, but it was more of a scarcity mindset with money. Now that I can look and see it at the time, I didn't realize that, but now I see my own money narrative sometimes and wonder where'd that come from? It's like, oh, okay, I get that. That's where that came from. And I'm now much more conscious and aware to make sure I keep money's abundant, money's abundant, money's abundant. Like that's like my mantra, money's everywhere, money's everywhere to keep that scarcity mindset out of my head. Alicia, tell us more about your mom's experience with domestic violence in terms of your witnessing that situation and the messages it left for you, especially as it relates to money. I can't even say I related it to money at the time. A lot of these things are coming up as I've matured and understand a lot more about the world. So at the time it was, I don't understand why you're staying here. I don't get it. Why don't you leave? You could die. Those were the things in my head. And I think relationship wise, which I think it had more of an impression on me than money wise, was that relationships are not necessarily safe, which probably joins in because I now realize we have relationships with money, but all your relationships kind of stem from your family. And I'm having therapy right now, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing. We really appreciate you making it real. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. And I don't think most of us realize that we actually do have a relationship with money and where that relationship comes from. Some of these things are really just coming up and connecting for me. The dots can be far apart, really. And then once you get them together, things really start to make some sense as to why you behave the way you behave around money and all your other relationships. Yeah, we certainly take a lot away, especially in our younger years when we don't have that frame of reference in life experience of our own. And I'm curious, Felicia, when all this was going on with your mom, you shared that you were thinking things to yourself. Were you chatting with her about money? Were you talking to your parents about money? No, no, we didn't talk about money. No, money was not a thing we talked about that I can recall. Now I'll go deeper into my subconscious and all that stuff and try to figure that out. But I don't remember those kinds of conversations. It was more about why, why are you here? It didn't seem like we lacked anything. We had food, we had housekeeper, we had a car and dogs. We had all the stuff and we lived with this. I don't think I thought money was the problem at the time, but my mom did not have her own money. My dad made the money in the family. Have you spoken with your mom about that now? To reflect back? I haven't. My mom passed away last year. Mm, sorry. 
we lived together the last year of her life, some of the conversations we did have were around a lot of her guilt around a lot of things that happened in her life. And for me at that time, my job, I felt, was to say, Mom, we're all fine. Yes, these things happened, and we're all fine. I have three sisters. We're all fine. We have our stuff. And as I say to my own kids, that's what therapy's for. Mom, you did the best you could at the time with what you had. We all have to realize that from our own parents is that they were doing the best they could. Even if it sucked, they were doing the best they could. Here's to that. Iyanla Van Zant talks about moms, if all they can feed you is trash, they will feed you the best trash. They will walk three miles to get the best trash for you to bring back. But all you realize as a child is that you ate trash, not what your mom did for you to get that. I'm really glad you said that. It's making me feel better as a mother and as a daughter. (laughs) Felicia, you say you grew up in a family where you were taught to go to school, study, get a job, save some money. And so you went off to medical school to become a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. That takes a lot of time, a lot of dedication, and a lot of money. How were you thinking about money at that phase of your career when you were presumably excited about medicine? (laughs) we got loans. I wasn't, I'm going to call it financially literate, but I'm going to say I was kind of stupid about credit cards. Not like we're talking about your son. When you got into college, you started getting credit card applications in the mail back when we had a lot of mail. They would just start coming. And I applied and I would buy stuff because I wanted stuff. And then I couldn't pay for it. And I got into some trouble with my credit cards at that time. I had student loans I paid for school with loans. I didn't abuse the loan situation, but I abused the credit card situation. I remember having bought some shoes and not being able to pay for them, but I don't remember exactly what happened. I think the credit card got turned off or something like that. And nothing horrible happened. Credit score took a hit, but I didn't know enough about credit and that kind of stuff to even realize that was the thing. And my children, who are now 30 and 29, they were afraid. They were getting those credit card things too. And they were afraid to take them. It's like, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. And ultimately they were able to get American Express kind of cards, something they had to pay every month so they could keep it in their mind. But we, as a family, my family appropriation talked more about money since my family of origin talked nothing about money. Anything we did was going to be better. So we were really, really educating the girls about money and investing and that kind of stuff. And there, I'm really proud of them and how they're doing their things. That's fantastic. Felicia, would you share a little bit more about what those conversations were? How did you approach them? I appreciate the credit story, but even more like that, how did you get them more comfortable with having financial conversations? It was a game. We played Cashflow 101 and it was just a matter of let's play this game. They were in the third and fifth grade at the time. And it was an adult game, but we just played. I don't know if my kids are geniuses or what, but I always thought they were. (laughs) I bet they are. (laughs) They were really smart kids. And so we're just going to do it. And they played and we played a lot. And I got the game after a friend of mine had given me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's a friend who helped me buy my first real estate deal with some other women physicians. He bought a building that we were going to be inhabiting paying ourselves rent. And she gave me this book. I read it and I was off to the races from there. That was 2004, 2005. I had been in practice since 93. So that was the amount of time. 98 was when I realized this is not for me. So then that amount of time went by before I was given this book when the light went off. Like there's different 
ways to make money and money is not the thing I think it is. That was where that hit me. What is money? What I learned from that is, is more about how you think about money. And money is not just to buy things. Money is to work for you. So that was the big switch for me. It's like, it is not just for me to go out and work for money. Money should be doing something for me. The rich don't work for money. The rich work for assets and the assets pay them money. So that's how they can acquire wealth is through purchasing and having assets as opposed to continually running the wheel of making money and buying things, which in the game, Cashflow 101 is called doodads that don't appreciate or make money for you. So now my whole mantra is we shouldn't be spending more time working for money than our money is working for us. Lisa, you're the second guest in a very short time period to mention that book and the profound impact it had on you. So this is fascinating to me. I'm aware of the book, but I haven't read it. So I'm going to have to do that. Neither have I, Sandy. I'm taking a note. We're going to have to read it. (laughs) It was written by two people. Robert Kiyosaki is the one who gets most of the credit and acclaim for the book. And Sharon Lecter was his partner at the time, was also a part of that book. And she's got a whole platform around women and money also. Oh, good to know. Thanks for mentioning that. So you're gaining a new appreciation about assets and how to approach money differently. You are in partnership with some other female doctors. You purchase a building to which you are practicing in at the time, but you're far into the, I really don't want to be doing this for a living. How did you navigate your way out of the medical practice and what did you do? I realized only within the last five years that buying that building was my first real estate deal. Because you just thought of it as your business. Yeah, exactly. I didn't think about that as a real estate transaction. To me, my first real estate transaction came when one of my patients, a young woman was in for her issue and I asked her, what did she do for a living? And she told me she was a real estate investor. She was young. She was like in her 30s. And we had lots of conversations around that. She had to come in several times. And ultimately, I found a property So she stimulated me to do something. So I went and found a property and she walked it with me. And then she challenged me. She said, listen, if you don't buy this house, I'm going to buy it. Ooh, put a little competition in there for you. (laughs) I know, Castle 101, here we go. (laughs) Exactly. And if you buy it, you can use our crew to rehab it. And if you buy it, rehab it, and are losing money on it, once you get it rented, I'll buy it from you. So she challenged me and then took away all the risk. Wow, what a gift. Why do you think she did that? because I think she thought it was time for me to jump. She's pushing. She knew me and she knew I was never going to sell this house back to her, no matter what was happening. (laughs) (laughs) And so we did and it went well. And we then ramped up very fast. We bought 18 properties in two years in the 2006 to 2008 timeframe. I remember that time period. Pretty easy to get a mortgage (laughs) if you needed one. Yes, basically. And we ramped it up. Everything needed to be rehabbed. And then 2008 happened and cash dried up and we didn't know what to do. We had a lack of knowledge around the full picture of real estate investing. I am a physician, so I could get a signature loan. Believe it or not, I got $50,000 to help try to rehab. And I think we had probably 10 that needed to be rehabbed. And the next thing I knew that 50,000 was gone and we still had a lot of properties that need to be rehabbed. We didn't have the money. I could keep digging a hole, keep digging a hole or make a decision for a family to stop. And that was the decision we made was to stop digging that hole. I don't feel like I've ever quit anything in my life. 
And that was a really, really hard one to walk away from. But it was a smart thing to do, as painful as it was. And it wasn't, you know how you think I'm going to quit something and then that's going to be the end of it? Hard stop, you're done. There's all the consequences of that kind of thing. So there's attorneys calling you. There's process service for serving you. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening. I ended up getting divorced. It was a very, very ugly time in my life. And I learned so much. It was the springboard for everything else. Tell us more about that, because this is incredible. You're highlighting how money mistakes can be so hard and awful and painful, but they teach you so much. I'm curious, what were you learning? It took a while to figure out that, well, let me say this. When I was deciding to walk away, I knew enough to know that I didn't necessarily need a credit score to buy another house. I needed cash. So I was working, figuring out how am I going to get cash to get back into real estate because I somehow knew that real estate wasn't the problem. It was our lack of knowledge that was the problem. So found a position that was going to pay me a lot of money and pay me a big signing bonus to come there. At the time we were living in Hawaii and I had to leave Oahu to go do this practice. That was a sacrifice. (laughs) I loved living there, Mm -hmm. but did that, cleaned up all the mess realized my issue was lack of knowledge, realized that my issue was lack of capitalization and having all those properties, and then set about getting mentors and people way smarter than me and who had been doing real estate investing way longer than me to help me not make those kind of mistakes again and hopefully make less mistakes because I could learn from theirs. One of the things I think about now is that if I had stayed in touch with Jamie, who's the woman who got me with the first house, we probably would have had much less issue. But Once I had that one and that was going well, we just ran. We ran. What I find incredible about what you're sharing with us, Felicia, is that you were able to put your ego to the side. You put your ego to the side and honestly realized that you just didn't know as much as you needed to know. And then you went after it. It was, again, one of those challenge things. Failure can't be the end of the story. That was it that's not the end of this story. Look at all these people doing well with real estate. Look at all these people. Mm-hmm. I did something wrong and I got to figure this out. And it's the same thing. I think I have the same kind of mentality around medicine. Whenever there's a complication, like, what did you do wrong? What happened? Is this something that you could have prevented, mitigated? And it's the same thing with real estate. You look at the risk. What are the potential risks? And you mitigate them. Can they still happen? Sure, they can still happen. But at least you have some foresight that this could happen and you have a plan. Does that mean you can plan for every single thing that happens? No, because stuff happens and you're looking at it going, okay, now what am I going to do? And the creativity is the thing about real estate that I love the most is that you can work through most of those issues in sometimes some very creative ways. And the way you do it is having a team and talking to as many people as you can, somebody's going to help you. Something somebody says is going to be the thing you needed to hear. And having the ego and keeping it to yourself and thinking you can work through it, I'm going to figure it out on my own. I'm going to read 50,000 books. I'm going to get it. You probably will figure it out, but it'll be 50 years too late. You would have lost all that opportunity. So for me, the more people I know, the bigger network I have, the better I'm going to do. I think that's such an important message for almost anything in life. And we talk a lot about how there is something within personal finance that people sometimes think they have to know it all themselves, do it all themselves. And 
it's been great to be able to talk on Money Tales about the power of building your team and your network to support you. And that's obviously what we do at Experient. Felicia, I want to ask you a question about starting money with mission, because what I believe I heard is that you're being the Jamie, your Jamie, to other women. Tell us about the inspiration and what you're doing. I started doing real estate investing. I learned about syndication in my next iteration after the failures and all that. Got into some other groups, started learning about syndication. And syndication is when a group of people put their money together to buy something that none of them could buy on their own in a real estate space, business space, anything like that. So did some syndications with resort properties, apartments, and just the usual kinds of things that people start out in syndication and realize, yeah, this is okay. And we can make money, but it's kind of like urology. It's like, I could do it, but it's it's not the thing. And then I did a course, again, by networking and going out and meeting lots of people, a guy who did assisted living homes and learned about doing well and doing good. So he could buy a house, make it into a community for seniors, whether they need memory care or just regular assisted living, and take the pressure off of families So you have a family who's trying to take care of this loved one who they can't take care of anymore, but don't want to put them in an institution because it's so big. They have one person taking care of 20 people. And now we have a 12-bed home where we have three people taking care of 12 people, so one to four. And it's a house where it's more like a home and they have a whole community of people to deal with and to have interactions with. And it's an easier come and go for families. So that mission-driven investing is what really got me and made me feel this is what I'm here to do. Once I got that, we did a home, which was way more challenging than we thought it was going to be, but that's how life is, right? When I got this mission-driven real estate investing and business investing thing in me, all these projects started coming. I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma to help open a grocery store in a food desert real estate investing. We were also going to open indoor controlled farms. That part didn't work out, but that was real estate investing, having healthy access to food. Now I'm in Tulsa and we're working on getting grocery boxes, which are shipping containers, to have grocery stores in individual neighborhoods so that people don't have to necessarily walk or take a bus or go somewhere to a grocery store. You have a full service grocery store that is everything you need at an affordable price in your neighborhood. So these are the kind of things that drive me now to help improve communities, improve other people's lives, make money for investors, because we do still need to have our own financial bottom lines fed. That's my driver right now. So anything that's going to change a community, affordable housing, workforce housing, any of those kinds of things, I'm all in for helping raise money for. Let's get some investors in there. Lisa, I'm so excited and it's so exciting to hear your energy talking about matching money with mission. I'm curious, tell us how you think about financial return versus mission return and how you weigh the two. Because you mentioned you need a return on the money. Yeah. How do you assess that when you're looking at different deals? That's interesting. I haven't figured out and I haven't talked to anybody who has figured out how to really, really accurately, to my satisfaction, measure the social impact. So a lot of that is, to me, a gut feeling. Just take something black and white. You know, if you buy a B-class apartment complex, 
where workforce housing, people are living there and you make it A and you raise the rents a thousand dollars, you're going to get people out. They're going to be people who have to find someplace else to live. Or you could take that apartment complex, improve it and keep the money where you're still going to be making money. So you're improving the lives of the people that are living there, not getting them kicked out and value adding to that complex. Now your investors making money. It may not be 40% return or whatever, but you're going to get a 20% return. And you did not displace families. You didn't displace elderly from their homes because you drove it too hard. So it's very much a balance. The people that I work with, I really want them to work to balance that. So it seems almost as if there's an attractive return that you want to achieve on your money, but you're only going to invest in things that will have positive impacts on other people or on the earth in some way. You got it. And some of the housing things, there's tax credits, there's lots of government assistance to help build affordable housing because the government can't do it all themselves. So there's all kinds of ways to really improve your capital stack and improve the returns to the investors while you're having that positive impact because the private money was able to come in and build this housing. I love the terminology, the capital stack and all the confidence you have from lots of hard work and experiences and not all success. It's great. You've become the doctor of real estate. That's really great, Felicia. Thank you. And like you said, I want other women, specifically women physicians who realize it's time to invest off Wall Street to be able to and not have to suffer. You can learn from my mistakes. I'm perfectly happy to let you learn from my mistakes and help you not make some other ones that I can see that could happen. So again, be a Jamie for somebody else and for as many people as possible so that we can all do well and build generational wealth, leave legacy, whether it's a legacy for your kids or a legacy for the earth and the world. All of that's important to me. And I want people in my community who are driven in that same way. It's not just about the dollar. It is about the difference that dollar is going to make in somebody else's life. How do you find these women? I have a podcast called Money with Mission. I give talks. I'm out there. I've had a couple of clients who call me and now they're spreading the word to other women out there and really working to get a better understanding of their money. Now, I have heard from some women. One particular surgeon is like, every time I talk about money, I get sleepy. Well, you need to wake up. And another one who said, I just really want to get married so my husband can take care of it. This was not that long ago. This was like less than a month ago. And it actually almost took my breath away. (laughs) It's like, I couldn't even come up with the statistics at the time of how many women outlive their husbands and don't know anything about where the money is or what the money is or who's doing or what's what. So we can't be that. We cannot be that. Alicia, I love what you're doing. And I'm excited that you're doing it and that you're making such a big difference in the world for all of us. Tell us, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? I don't 100% know, but I want it to be with a professional woman who is ready to invest off Wall Street and help her see all the opportunity that there is in the money that she has and the way she's allocating her funds that she is able to keep her 401k and invest for now so that she can have some cash flow and make a difference in her life today, give her options in how she's working today and not just have to work until she's 
65, 70, 80, whatever the retirement age is going to be by the time some of our physicians finish. To me, it is about having options and how you work. You shouldn't have to, in my opinion, run that hamster wheel day after day after day after day. And the way medicine is going, it's going to be see more patients, see more patients, see more patients, have less satisfaction. It burns you out. Women are being stuck. They're stuck because they don't have any other options. They have six-figure debt when they come out of school and they have no other option for getting that paid off than keep running that wheel. And my message is every woman should have the ability to walk away from any job or relationship that's not in her best interest. Mm. And it drives me every day. That is a fortunate professional woman who gets to talk to you. And your message is so important and that we have choices and you can get unstuck. I really think that's great. Felicia, would you share with our listeners, where's the best place for them to find you? Moneywithmission.com. We have lots of resources on there, lots of ways to get started. And if you're like, I just want to talk to somebody, there's a big blue button that says book a call and I will talk to anybody. You are amazing. Thank you, Felicia, for joining us on the Money Tales podcast. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.